Taking your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew 11 together. The primary focus of tonight's message will be indeed verse 12, but we will read verses 1 through 19. Uh, We will then start with a look at verse 12, then I'll move past it, and then I'll come back to it. Uh, That is the overall plan tonight. Let us pray. Our God and Father, upon the occasion now of your word being read publicly and preached, we ask again for the ministry of your Holy Spirit in a special way to attend upon the reading and preaching of your word, to be benefited by your help. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would be like a plowman, that he would indeed furrow a straight row in our hearts, breaking up this fallow ground in us, making the soil good to receive the good word so that it would take root in the heart. And Lord, that taking root, it would issue forth in strength, 30, 60, 100-fold, a harvest of righteousness to your praise, to your honor, to your glory, to your name. Father, help us even now, we pray, In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, 
and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is God's word. In our reading tonight, we heard in verse 12 an unusual description of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. What this cryptic statement means is first revealed in all the verses that surround it, in verses 1 through 19. Jesus is saying that ever since the public preaching of John the baptizer, ever since it began, there has been this increase of aggression. This aggression, this violence, will eventually land heavily upon our Lord Jesus himself when he is taken and nailed to a cross. He will be crucified. But at the moment our Lord spoke these words, this aggression was most obvious in the life of John the baptizer. John has been arrested. That happens back in Matthew 4.12. John has been thrown into prison. And very soon, John will have his head removed by the order of Herod the Tetrarch on the night of Herod's birthday party. John's head will be brought into a crowded room on a platter and given to the dancing daughter of Herodias, a woman that Herod was committing adultery with, a sick party favor. This is some of the violence the kingdom of heaven has suffered. But Jesus, of course, is saying the violence began even earlier than John's arrest. The violence actually began with John's public ministry because John came preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. John came declaring the kingdom's true Lord was drawing nigh. And if you are well situated in a different kingdom, those are fighting words. That is a threat to your comfort and ease. John came calling men to a state of readiness for the judgment and salvation of God was coming. John came proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Luke 3, 4. All of this means John the baptizer's ministry immediately brought a clash of authority in the land of Israel. That is where the aggression comes from. A clash of two authorities, a real authority and a pretend authority. Pretend authority does not like to be exposed, so it strikes out. It clinches, it rages, it silences. That's pretend authority. Real authority must take that which rightly belongs to it. It is no authority if it leaves that which is its own in the hands of the opposition. 
So real authority, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and his forerunner, John, must intrude and reach and take captive. The Great Commission is a perfect example of this real authority. After his resurrection, Jesus gathered the disciples on a mountain in Galilee, and he said to them, standing right in front of them, of course, standing before them with his obvious victory over death, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now that commission is real authority. Jesus does not say, go and make disciples just in those nations who will gladly grant you access. Jesus does not say, go and make disciples just in those nations who are not offended by me. No, that would be pretend authority. Pretend authority is always adjusting its doctrine and its mission to the whims and wants of men. Jesus commands nothing like pretend authority. He says plainly, go and make disciples of all nations. Don't go and break the laws in all nations, but do go, and no matter what obstacles you encounter, do this there. Make disciples. Find a way to do it. Even if you must be secretive, after all, I have all authority over nations, so even the obstacles are determined by me. Get going. Don't think they are from some other authority. That's real authority. So the kingdom of heaven, spoken of in verse 12, which is the rule of God's salvation, by another expression, the kingdom of heaven advances with this real, ultimate authority. And many scholars, when they find these two words, violence, used in verse 12, think, and I think this is a fair point to make, they think that Jesus is perhaps using a word here to show that he is talking about and dealing with ultimate things. And so he takes the word violent on his lips, not referring to always and everywhere acts of physical violence, but he is upgrading the language from conflict to violence to testify that he is bringing a kingdom that is going to put men of the world in crisis. They will be heated up because of the message, because of the message of the forerunner and because of the message of the Lord who is coming after him. The Lord does this all the time with language. He takes anger and upgrades it to murder. Not because there's a literal, literal dead body on the floor every time, but because in the judgment of God, the heart of anger is of a peace with the heart of murder. Violence is being used in the same way, most likely here in verse 12. The Lord is saying, this is driving men to deal with their own lives with the ultimacy of a rising kingdom and a falling kingdom. 
So Jesus himself is part of the violence. And I'll come back to this. His kingdom intrudes, it disrupts, it denounces, all in order to liberate and bless and take captive for Christ, the miserable souls of men. We have misunderstood the kingdom of heaven if we think that it is only for those who are interested in it. That if you are a person who really loves peace and quiet, the kingdom's not for you, and you'll be okay. No. Jesus is saying this is dealing with ultimate things. And don't be worried. He's not sanctioning physical violence. But he's upgrading the language, testifying to the ultimacy upon which men will act, and sometimes in physical violence, to stop his kingdom. So Jesus describes his real authority doing this very thing in his response to John's disciples up in verse 4, 5, and 6. Listen to what he says there. He says, Many souls, once ruled by the kingdom of sin, death, and Satan, are now being liberated. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Beloved, this is intrusion. This is ransack. This is plunder. Plunder, by the way, in your English Bible is the same Greek word for the violent take it by force. Take it by force and plunder, same word. Our Lord is plundering a kingdom. The king of life is healing bodies and souls long bound by the ruler of death, Satan. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Call that violence if you wish. It would be appropriate. The real authority of the kingdom of heaven had come, and it was calling out to men and women, calling them to forsake their life of sin, receive their true king in faith, follow him in adoration and obedience, no matter the cost. No wonder the temperature was going up, beginning with the ministry of John the baptizer. But the pretended authorities, they all scoffed at this. They mocked it. They laughed at it. The pretend authorities in Israel did not want anyone to take sin so seriously as John the baptizer was. They did not want anyone taking the man of man Jesus of Nazareth so seriously. They did not want anyone taking the miraculous deeds and the powerful teaching of Jesus too seriously. The pretend authorities. Why? Because the pretend authorities did not want John the baptizer or Jesus of Nazareth upsetting any of their plans or any of their placement in society or any of their holdings of property and wealth. And you probably know that they said this blatantly in the last week of his life. They said, we must turn him over or else we will lose our place that the Romans have given us. So the pretend authorities always found something to criticize 
in the ministry of John the baptizer, and they always found something to criticize in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is our Lord's point in verses 16 through 19. The pretend authorities in Israel and the people who allowed themselves to be persuaded by those pretend authorities were constantly criticizing John the baptizer for being too serious, too gloomy. Look at the clothes he wears. Look at the locust he eats. He doesn't even eat the good locust. Have you had the good locust? Look at this guy, so gloomy, so serious. What does he think, that the, that the kingdom of God is coming? Yes, by the way. They criticized John. And like foolish children, they tried to make John less serious by being silly themselves. When John remained serious, they criticized him again. But the very same people, Jesus says, found the Son of Man, your Lord. They found him too joyful, too happy, keeping company with sinners. So they tried to get Jesus sad and depressed. They played a dirge for him, which is a poetic way of saying they were always trying to make him more dour about the things they were dour about, earthly problems. They were sad and depressed not about sin, but about politics, about taxes, about a lack of bread. They didn't like it that Jesus wasn't depressed about those things because he had not come to bring them an earthly kingdom. And so when Jesus remained joyful in the company of redeemed sinners, they criticized him. Glutton, drunkard, look at the revelry he has with Levi. So this generation, Jesus says, who are really governed by this pretend authority of the scribes, of the Pharisees, of the high priest. This generation of Israelites are like foolish children governed by no principles. They want one man to be less serious and the other man to be more serious. But the truth is, they just wanted to see both men despised and rejected. Why? Because both men, the forerunner and the king, who comes after the forerunner, Both were performing deeds that testified to another kingdom. That testified to heavenly wisdom. Deeds that revealed the rule of God's salvation breaking in to time and space in the man, Jesus Christ. Well, this helps us then go back a little bit to verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. When I read this verse, it is very tempting to read it in a way that keeps Jesus out of it. It is very tempting to attribute all of the violence described in this verse simply to the enemies of the kingdom. I don't think we can do that. 
And it is true that the, viol- the second usage of the word violent in verse 12 is a plural, referring not to just one man, but to many. But just as Satan has his offspring and his children, even in Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus Christ has his offspring. So work with me here for a moment. I attest to you, beloved, that what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying in verse 12 is that beginning with the ministry of the forerunner, John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven was assaulted by the devil and his offspring. But not just the devil and his offspring were part of an assault. The Lord Jesus Christ and his offspring were also part of the assault. The violent take it by force. Another translation of that last phrase, the violent ones plunder it. Plunder what? Plunder the kingdom of heaven. They become possessors of it. The Lord Jesus Christ, united with his people, was taking the kingdom of heaven and populating it with the souls of men, once under the power of the strong man. Matthew 21, 31 says, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, these lowly people rank with sin, not with pride, not with a self-righteousness according to the law, but rank with sin and lawlessness. They are leapfrogging over all of these vipers, as John calls them, the scribes and Pharisees, and going into the kingdom. And they are taking it with the Lord Jesus from Satan, taking souls from him. In John, excuse me, in Matthew 12, Jesus is going to say that how can anyone plunder a strong man's house unless he first bind the strong man? is the devil. This is the Lord's own participation in the violent assault of the advance of his kingdom. A fourth century bishop by the name of Hilary of Portiers had a wonderful expression to explain verse 12 of Matthew 11. It's a a little longer than I normally would quote, but I want you to hear it because I find it helpful. Here's Hillary. The violent irony is that his own people rejected him while strangers accepted him. His own people speak ill of him while his enemies embrace him. The act of adoption offers an inheritance while the family rejects it. Sons refuse to accept their father's last will while the slaves of the household receive it. This is what is meant by the phrase, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Earlier expectations are being torn apart. 
the glory that was pledged to Israel by the patriarchs, which was announced by the prophets and which was offered by Christ, is now being seized and carried off by the Gentiles through their faith and the prostitutes and the tax collectors. I believe our Lord in verse 12 is calling all of this a species of violence because men are losing relationships. Families are being torn asunder because of the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is ultimate, not family, not even the national state of Israel. And wasn't it our Lord himself who in the previous chapter spoke of such violence without using the term that he now uses in 11.12? Wasn't it he who said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. He said that. Sounds like a species of violence to me. Why is this important? You've heard it. It's important. Because we are so tempted to allow ourselves this lazy reclining under pretend authority that the kingdom and the church and that Christ and the word is not about anything ultimate. And so we can take it and drop it, pick it up, carry it, come back to it, we'll get to it. Beloved, it is ultimate. Wherever there is violence, you are dealing with ultimate things. Every political theorist will tell you that the first duty of any state that deserves to be called a state, this is politics 101 in square number one, the first duty of any state is to secure its citizens against the threat of violence. It's in all of the fat books in every political library in the West, what I just said. The first duty of any state is to secure its citizens against the threat of violence. Why? Because there's nothing more ultimate than somebody violently coming and taking your life or your property or those of your family. And so our Lord, in his brilliant pedagogical style, which is his teaching ministry, brings the word violence to our ears in 11.12 to tell us cease thinking of this the way your generation thinks of it. A willy-nilly, always malleable, always changing, shape-shifting truth, this Christianity. It is about ultimate things. It is about the kingdom of heaven. It is about salvation from sin. It is about adoration and obedience due unto God. It is about new life where there was only death. It is about breaking the power of Satan and living in the power of God. These are ultimate things. Beloved, these are the kind of things that make prophets dress in ways that are PG-13, or should I say rated R. How many parents took their five-year-olds out to see John the Baptist? The elect of God did. But it was wild. It was crazy time. There were arguments 
Families were being torn apart right on the edge of the water. Beloved, ultimate things had intruded, and they have not left. The kingdom of Christ is upon you. Christ is risen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for speaking to us in terms that arrest our attention. Lord, we thank you that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but the principalities and the powers and the evil forces of Satan and the ruler of this world. And he is no match for the one who shall indeed end him utterly and completely by one little word. And he is no match for the gospel as the gates of hell shall not prevail against the advance of your church, the kingdom of heaven. Father, we pray that we would ourselves not be ruled by pretend authorities, always shifting, always thinking that nothing about our Christian faith is really ultimate, that it's all a boutique option, that it's all open to discovery, and change. Oh, we pray that we would indeed recognize in this word tonight that the kingdom is not ours. It is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would submit to it and not think that we can modify it. We pray that we would be brought under its authority and power and rule and not think that we can come under it any time we are well-pleasing and ready. We pray that we would come now and be renewed even in our commitment to its ultimacy. For heaven and hell are moving. Death and life are at stake. Eternity is before the souls of men, and the day is short. Oh, Lord, revive us, we pray, in Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen.